A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 124 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website's second airborne division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like a Wookiee with a life debt, the EU guru himself, the count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, everybody! You know, if I'd known I would be called a Wookiee, I would have gotten some liquid so I could gargle myself a chewy welcome. <laughs> that sounds kind of gross. <laughs> or something like that, you know? I don't know, when I hear you say gargle a chewy, I'm like... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Just, just, I can't do the little... Set. I can't do the warbling that a Wookiee makes without having some drink in my mouth. That's all I'm saying. There you go, exactly. I could exactly see it. Like I could that. see it. Well, it has been a big, big uh, few weeks for us here, folks. If you haven't had a chance to catch up with all the goings-on with the other podcast that Mark and I are involved with, um, we have finally launched as of... It's really been few weeks ago now, I guess, what, two weeks, give or take a go, um, but with our recording schedule, sometimes we get a chance to mention things when we're recording, sometimes we record things in advance and all, so uh, it's been kind of a hectic recording schedule recently, but if you haven't caught it yet, the Star Wars Report's newest podcast, Rebels Roundtable, is live. It is out there now. Um, we basically are, or have been, recording the last episodes for Republic Forces Radio Network. We thought the show had ended with our episode that announced Rebels Roundtable back in November that involved the review of the Clone Wars film, kind of as an end cap to that series. But we always kind of left the door open saying, well, at some point we'll probably have to do like an epilogue to Republic Forces Radio Network because Clone Wars would be coming back at some point with those bonus episodes, and they came a lot earlier than we thought. So we decided to use those sort of as a bridge. So if you follow the Republic Forces Radio Network podcast feed, then you've gotten already, as of the time that we're recording this, our coverage of Season 6's first arc, the Order 66 arc. We have recorded the other ones. We recorded the Clovis arc, the Jar Jar arc, and then just recently, actually the night before we're recording this episode for Beyond the Films, we all got together in a huge recording session to record our thoughts on the Yoda arc that is the final arc of the Clone Wars. And as such, that also made them the final episode of Republic Forces Radio Network. So what we did was we got together, actually the core team that is moving over from RFRN into Rebels Roundtable. So it was not just four of us on the call this time around for this final episode. It was uh, me, Jonathan Hosting, of course, uh, Dan was there. Barrett was there, Jen was there, and for the first time for RFRN, as we were transitioning into Rebels Roundtable, Mark was there on the call throughout, and to make it even better, since it was going to be a final episode, we wanted to add final thoughts about everything and our goodbyes and all, at least for that feed, uh, Arnie stopped by to basically uh, say goodbye since he was the one who originated that show, and Jerry, who's not carrying over to Rebels Roundtable, popped in near the end uh, to give his goodbyes to the show. So you have a big final episode there showing up soon, but those four episodes about season six are also being released not just in that feed, but also through our Rebels Roundtable feed. And also in the Rebels Roundtable feed, we now have, as of the time we're recording this, eight exclusive episodes that appear only in that feed. So if you've been following the RFRN feed, you need to jump over to the Rebels Roundtable one or you are missing stuff. We've got six individual mini-episodes that have interviews with the team members to get to know a little bit more about each member of the panelists 
who are going to be on Rebels Roundtable. And then we have two data burst episodes. One of them is basically a me talking with Barrent about his experiences with the Rebels panel at WonderCon this year. And then we got one where Mark and I take a look at how the recent canon announcements specifically focus in on uh, Rebels and the Clone Wars and what it means for those two series overall. Uh, so at this point, we've had the Facebook and Twitter going for a while for them. That's facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. We also have rebelsroundtable.com that'll point to the Rebels Roundtable area of starwarsreport.com to be able to check out things over there. But since we last spoke on this show, finally the feeds and everything have become available. So if you were to go on iTunes, you can simply search Rebels Roundtable. There'll be a couple that pop up because there's another show that started using the name after we'd announced it months before. Um, but Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, easy to spot. Star Wars Report is in the name and, of course, is the same black and orange logo that you'll see if you go to the website. So you can subscribe through that, get all these episodes, not just the RFRN ones that are sort of RFRN's epilogue and a prelude to Rebels Roundtable, but also those eight that we've released that are exclusive to that feed. And if you are someone who wants to listen, you want to use podcatching software, but you don't want to go through iTunes, then you can also go directly through our feed, which is feeds.feedburner.com slash rebelsround. Make sure it is rebelsround like our Twitter, not rebelsroundtable, because it appears that other show, I believe, grabbed the rebelsroundtable name for that one. Uh, it's kind of this weird oddity of the two different shows with the different names coming from different creative teams. Uh, but we are the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, feeds.feedburner.com slash rebelsround. Same as on Twitter, facebook.com, rebelsroundtable and rebelsroundtable.com. I think that covers all the bases, but we had a lot of fun with this, and there are several more episodes still to come. As of the time we're recording this, the Clovis Arc episode is a matter of days away. There are two more still after that, and at some point we're probably going to join up to talk about the Rebels trailers and such that have been released uh, throughout. And by that point, it should be Jonathan back doing the hosting for those as he is for the Season 6 stuff, as opposed to me doing most of the hosting for our uh, odd exclusive bits. So, big stuff happening there. If you haven't gone over and checked out the new show yet, you really should. That's right. You can also go to the second Airborne tab, find it all right there as well, right off the website, www.starwarsreport.com. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we're going to look at Martha Wells' Empire and Rebellion Razor's Edge. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we're going to give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Nathan, you want to uh, give a quick little preface, though, about what's going on with this? I mean, with the new... Uh, new canon as it were and all the eu becoming legends this series kind of found itself in a particularly unique place you want to kind of shed some light on that for everybody sure yeah this winds up being kind of an oddity uh the plan was that there would be a three book series but not really much of a trilogy called empire and rebellion it would have one book focusing on leia one focusing on han one focusing on luke they were designed to be books that were good entry points for new readers in fact Let's check out here the solicitation text for these. Now, I'm going to grab the solicitation text in this case from The Honor Among Thieves, the second book's advanced uncorrected proofs copy that gets sent out for review because my review copy of Razor's Edge, apparently there were so many people wanting to review Razor's Edge that they ran out of the regular purple cover arc copies, and the one that was sent out to me looks very different than all the other ones, which means it doesn't include that little piece of solicitation copy. But if you look into the solicitation bits for Honor Among Thieves, it points out that Star Wars is back, talking about the new movies coming, uh, refers to these as the first or second of three new classic Star Wars adventures. Each will star the big three, Han, Luke, and Leia. And each will be written by a popular author new to Star Wars, Martha Wells, James S.A. Corey, and Kevin Hearn. They point out that it's a popular Star Wars era and characters. Uh, nothing in Star Wars is more popular than the time of the original three movies, the rise and ultimate victory of the Rebel Alliance. And Leia, in this case, is one of moviedom's most popular rogue heroes ever. Then they point out that this is a perfect entry for casual fans. 
Even if you've only seen the very first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, you'll get this book. And they focus on the fact that this is a brand new Star Wars author and how they started promoting this back at Celebration 6. Um, the series winds up sort of falling apart as a series because by the time we get to Honor Among Thieves coming out, the Empire and Rebellion title is missing from the cover, though it's inside the book and it is something that shows up on the advanced copy for those who are trying to review it. Then, as far as the Luke one goes, it was scheduled much further down the line for January of next year, and as the announcement came for this new canon and how all the previous EU stuff or the C canon stuff is going to be Legends, these two got relegated to Legends, but that third that wouldn't come out till next January is going to take a very different approach, a first-person approach, and became one of the first new canon books heir to the Jedi. So, Empire Rebellion as a series is pretty much in pieces. Now, as far as spoiler-free reviews, um, sadly, I'm going to have to probably do a disagreement here with a site that we disagreed with, I think, about Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, and that is Roku Depot. I go to the Amazon page for Razor's Edge, and it promotes the book with the text that is on the back of the cover and then on the book flap of the book jacket. It runs, When rebels clash with renegades, it's the Empire that may claim the final victory. Harassment by the Empire and a shortage of vital supplies are hindering completion of a new secret base on the ice planet Hoth. So when mid-rim merchants offer much-needed materials for sale, Princess Leia Organa and Han Solo lead an alliance delegation to negotiate a deal. But when treachery forces the rebel ship to flee into territory controlled by pirates, Leia makes a shocking discovery. The fierce marauders come from Leia's homeworld of Alderaan, recently destroyed by the Death Star. These refugees have turned to pillaging and plundering to survive and they are in debt to a pirate armada, which will gladly ransom the princess to the vengeful empire, if they find out her true identity. Struggling with intense feelings of guilt, loyalty, and betrayal, Leia is determined to help her wayward kinspeople, even as Imperial forces are closing in on her own crippled ship. Trapped between lethal cutthroats and brutal oppressors, Leia and Han, along with Luke, Chewbacca, and a battle-ready crew must defy death, or embrace it, to keep the rebellion alive. And then they quote what I guess is a review from Roku Depot, not as part of the different uh, customer reviews, but actually a boldface review directly underneath the description of the book, which says, A rollicking Star Wars adventure, a book that keeps you eagerly turning pages. Now, A, I don't know what book they read, okay? And, but I would love to have read the exciting book that's being described here in the solicitation text. But sadly, that's not what we get. Instead, what we get is Razor's Edge, which is one of the most generic-feeling, very simplistic, depth-lacking, just kind of meh, there, inoffensive, disconnected to everything else Star Wars books that we've gotten since the 80s. This is a book that would have been perfectly at home with Splinter of the Mind's Eye, with the Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly, with the Lando Calrissian Adventures, with Del Rey's first foray into Star Wars books. This book should not have been written in the modern day. It is so lackluster and dull that I would have to agree, and I know Mark certainly would agree, with some of the reviews that you would see on Amazon, uh, one of which is headlined, The First Star Wars Book That I Almost Couldn't Finish. It is not a good Star Wars book. It's not a good Leia book. It doesn't nail the characterizations the way that Honor Among Thieves does. Everybody, even the film characters, feel incredibly generic. And the new characters never become characters we have a real reason to care about. And the big mystery of the book, who is the traitor inside the Rebel Alliance, is an easy one to solve because they only ever bothered to give one new Rebel character anything really to do to point you in their direction as they could be the traitor. Anybody else would have been completely pointless because those characters got no depth whatsoever. At least one of them gets shallow depth, so of course that's got to be the traitor. Um, Martha Wells came in new to Star Wars with this, but not new to sci-fi writing. She's written a ton of novels. I've never read any of her other stuff. But if she has written that many and is a big-name sci-fi author to be brought in to Star Wars then this one feels like she phoned it in. Because surely to have that many books to her name and that big of a name in sci-fi, she's got to be a better writer than this. 
Well, I just wanted to touch really fast on some of the things you said. You know, the whole Empire and Rebellion and the fact that it was originally marketed as a series. I always thought that was a mistake. You know, the, the second I found out that the second book, Honor Among Thieves, actually took place before the first book. I mean, I get that they were standalones, but to me, it's like you don't name books a series that they have nothing to do with each other. I, I, I felt that that was just like a slick marketing campaign at the time. And, you know, now where we're at where we are now, it's like having these as the last of the Legends new materials that we're going to get is very sad and disappointing. I think and I think for me that that tainted a lot of what was going on as I was reading this. Uh, you know, I, I literally just finished this book last night as at the time we're recording this on the 11th and i have had it since they sent out the advanced review copy it has just been that hard for me to get through i just i go back and forth though because there's a part of me that's like you know if i'd never grabbed any other book this wouldn't have been that bad but but as nathan put it you know you put it up there with with uh splinter of the mind's eye and those other books and you're right because when i was reading those books that was the same feeling I had where it was like it was OK, but it did feel more like a chore to get through. Like I, I kept telling myself better books were going to come. And this one, like it had the promise, you know, when you had the the, the Dreadnought or whatever it's called, the Alderanian uh, gunship, you know, it had premise there. But I knew that they were never going to pick up on this stuff, that these characters were never going to come back again. And so that that was kind of disheartening as well, whether that is, you know, the fault of this story or the fact of what's going on with everything with the whole split of universes and them wanting to put all their eggs in the new film basket at the moment. But knowing that nothing was going to come out of this made it really hard. And then, you know, as as you go, there were a lot of times where the names of characters where like Leia will use the character's first name. And then his last name and then his first name and his last name. And, and I mean, this is going on at one point. It goes on in like a paragraph on one page where I'm like, wait, is she talking about two different guys with the same guy? And I had to go back and and look at the beginning and be, oh, yep, that's his first and last name. And it's like, why are we bouncing back? It confused me quite a few times. I would get confused by the way the names of the characters were being used. They go from the first to the last and they would do it in ways that didn't always make sense to me, the reader, because it was almost like they were presenting another character by using that character's last name right after using its first name. It's like, why would you do that? Like, it it, it took me out a few times with that. And, and you know, there, there's uh, one moment there where there's a line in the book that I, I really thought it summed it up. It, and this will be the only spoiler I'm going to throw in here. It was on page 170, and it was from Leia's point of view. And she said, stupid waste. All of it was a stupid waste. And I did kind of feel like that, although I recognize that that's probably because I've read so many other books that were really good that this one was, as Nathan said, meh. And I think that tainted everything about this book for me. You know, I keep looking at it like if I hadn't had anything else, I wouldn't have known about anything better. And so this would have been a good book. Uh, if you're getting into legends, this would be one I would encourage you to read first. Get this out of the way. You know, <laughs> don't come to this after you read Star by Star. Certainly. I mean, you'll just think it's terrible. But I don't think it was exactly a terrible book. But as Nathan says, it was so unoffensive to continuity and everything else that it felt kind of washed down or whitewashed. I, I felt like it was lacking depth. It was very shallow. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on about the whole Empire and Rebellion thing is the hardcover for Razor's Edge only says Empire and Rebellion. It says nothing about Razor's Edge, which I think, you know, if, if you were walking across an old used bookstore and you saw this, you may think you've come across a whole new book. What's this? You know, and then you open it up and realize it's got the other one, which, you know, the, the whole how this series kind of fell into that divide was was just weird. It, it all the way around was weird. And getting that that aspect of if this was the last we're going to get of Legends, it definitely left me feeling kind of let down. Yeah, it's odd. The the dust jacket says Razor's Edge, Empire, and Rebellion, but yeah, the the actual hardback book inside says Empire and Rebellion only on the the spine. And this is another one of these that you could you could sort of tell that it seemed like the author was only familiar with Star Wars from the films, um, which in a sense I guess might be a good thing if you're coming into this and they're wanting you to do something that completely doesn't tie into anything else, that is an entry point for new readers to just read something Star Wars where they don't need any backstory whatsoever. Um, but at the same time, there were things that popped up that had you saying, wait, this person doesn't really know what the heck they're talking about. There were several things 
that after reading the arc, I emailed Del Rey about. And this has happened a few times. Crucible, Mall Lockdown, I've run into things when reading the arc, and I've emailed it to them. They've been like, oh, thank you very much. That was something that uh, was very helpful, and they'll fix it. Now, whether it was me sending it, some other editor catching it, or whatever, you run into these things, and you hope that they're going to be able to fix it. And when going through here, there's stuff like um, Leia talking about a story uh, about an aide who was avoiding Senator Palpatine. Well, okay, this could not have been something from when she was in the Senate and experiencing this with the aide avoiding Senator Palpatine, because by the time Leia was born, he'd been Supreme Chancellor for 13 years. Um... It talks about Leia on page 17. Leia grew up with the Rebel Alliance. No, she didn't. Not unless Leia is like four years old at this point, because the Rebel Alliance didn't begin, at least in this continuity, until two years prior to the events of A New Hope. Even if you say that she grew up with it because she was with Bail Organa, that's still not the Rebel Alliance. Uh, at least, again, not in this continuity. Not the way they set up the idea of the Rebel Alliance as that titled organization not existing until the Corellian trilogy. There's also a point where they're in hyperspace and they talk about seeing the streaking stars beside them of hyperspace. Not unless they're in Star Trek and at warp. That's not what it looks like in Star Wars. In Star Wars, hyperspace is that swirling blue-black or purple-black kind of a weird pattern. It almost looks like you're going through some kind of weird space tunnel or something from like a, a bad 80s sci-fi film. Hmm, have we heard that before? Yeah, the lines um, are only there at the beginning and end of jumping in and out. Exactly. So it's kind of, and, and those are the kinds of things I sent, and it turns out the only thing that got fixed of anything that I sent was an instance in which they had Han saying something that had to be Luke saying something because Han wasn't there, and that's probably something some editor caught along the way not coming from that email. Um, I'm hoping this is just because they were so far along in the process that wasn't something they could fix anymore by the time that arc finally got to me. But, you know, it's just one of those things where you're like, you know, people are telling you, hey, you screwed something up. Why not take the time to fix it if you can? But that's kind of the thing. It, it just shows how this author was not particularly versed in it. But she doesn't even give a lot of depth to her own characters. Um, yeah. I, we'll get into the, the fact that there are a lot of female characters in this, which is a good thing, although none of them really get all that much depth. But she's telling like a story inside a story. The way that it plays is, right, when rebels clash with renegades, it's the empire that may claim the final victory. Think about the idea that basically it's a story within a story. There's a story of the clash with the pirate lord, the flight master, um, Vice. And that conflict is going on, and as it is, there's also this slow hunt of the Empire trying to catch Leia, but it's something you only see in bits and pieces originally, so that then once they're done dealing with the Pirate Lords, that's when the Empire becomes the big threat. It's kind of like the... It's sort of like... Uh, think of like... I don't even know how to describe it. Think of like a donut, right? The center hole represents the pirate story, but then there's that outer ring surrounding it of the imperial story that they eventually get back to once the core story is done. But in that imperial story, the primary villain of the piece is an imperial captain named Dagorin, or commander named Dagorin. How little depth does he get? He doesn't get a first name ever in the entire story. That should be a clue when supposedly your primary villain of the piece never even gets a first name, that there's not going to be a lot of depth to these characters. Yeah, I mean, there, there's one aspect that I'm kind of surprised that they left these in the Legends. I mean, they were so, you know, hands-off when it came to references to other stuff that you could have easily made this the new continuity. I mean, we'd talked about that before with that and Brian Wood stuff, how it already felt like, in a sense, they were trying out a new continuity to see how we would, you know, deal with it. I mean... It's weird that the one book made made the leap and these ones didn't when they are so, you know, inoffensive to everything that came in Legends. I mean, you literally could easily just say it was in the other one and go from there. But, yeah, there was there was a, a lot of weird aspects. of. The, I mean, you talked about it being a story within a story. And I would even say that there's a glaze filling or a glaze on the outside, which was the story of Leia and the Alderaanian pirates, you know, and, and her struggle with them that, that was also going on abroad all of it. it was like they had to put that on pause to deal with the other situations 
And for me, when it got to the end and that came back again, I felt like it was such a quick wrap up that it really kind of was, I mean, it's hard to even put it to a movie description. It it was a big letdown. I was just kind of like, really? Like, that's it? Like, that was the end, huh? Wow. All right. It's one of those movies where you're just trucking right along and all of a sudden you're at the credits and you're like, wait, what? Oh, I'll be honest with you. The way the last chapter played out, I kind of liked because it almost felt like it was going to go in the atypical direction. But we can get to that as we get to the spoilers. So uh, uh, how do we hit the spoiler warning now? We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. For those of you who haven't read this, you'll be able to read a summary of it on the next edition of the Star Wars Timeline Gold. Uh, That's something I read, again, to refresh my memory on this story, because it had been a couple months since I read it, and honestly, there was very little memorable about it. The gist here is that the Rebels need supplies for the Hoth base, okay? So they have set up a trade deal with sort of a middleman who is Kiern Sadavit. Um, He's a Vidalian male, according to the Dramatis Personae. And the idea is that they're supposed to meet with him at Arnott Station. Uh, I'm assuming that somewhere out there, um, there is a sister station known as R2, Arnott, R2! Or maybe it's just meant to be a companion piece to the droid. Um, (laughs) They're supposed to meet at Arnott Station. They're flying through space on their way to the meeting when they wind up being attacked by Imperials. And this shows that someone has, someone involved in the Alliance has likely revealed the location of the meeting. And that's why the Imperials are getting involved in it. They wind up being damaged, they come out of hyperspace, coming to Arnott Station, and there is a merchant ship being attacked by a pirate ship. The merchant ship winds up being the one that has Sadavit on it because he was on his way there with his people to meet them as well. They were betrayed to a pirate lord, uh, Veist. It's uh, Arl Tukor Veist. But they were betrayed by one of his people who knew nothing about the rebel ties, so it was just being betrayed as traitors to make themselves a target. The ship that's attacking them is the Aegis, if you're supposed to pronounce that. A-E-G-I-S. Aegis, Aegis, um, which is a an Alderanian ship. And this, when Leia sees it, freaks her out, and she's thinking that this is sort of uh, uh, not fitting the Alderanian legacy to become pirates. And in order to save the crew of the other ship, even though it blows their cover, Leia contacts the Aegis, winds up making a deal where the crew of that ship are going to be left safe, and their cargo is the only thing that's going to be taken as long as Leia, who doesn't have to go alone, Leia and some others board the Aegis to speak with the captain of that ship, which is uh, Kaleen or Selene Metara. They go over there, they meet, they talk. She learns a little bit about their background, about them basically being a patrol ship um, that was too far away from Alderaan to make any difference when they heard about its destruction. They couldn't get there to look for survivors because the uh, Empire had star destroyers and stuff in the area. They wind up going out on their own. They briefly try to start hitting Imperial targets in their own way, but they wind up in debt to Vice uh, and stuck with her operation for a matter of time. Um, the other pirates that are part of that organization show up, take the ship anyway, along with its crew to sell into slavery. They all wind up, while the uh, the rebel ship, the Gamble, has to land at Arnott Station for repairs with Vanden Will and among, Willard among those who are aboard, uh, Leia goes with uh, Matara and her crew to the so-called clearinghouse, which is Vice's base. Leia is pretending to be the leader of another organization that might want to basically uh, buy the debt that Matara owes to Vice in order to take the Aegis for her operation, just a way to get her, you know, out of the mix and everything. Vice, unfortunately, though, is a Lordian and is able to read uh, body language and stuff like that very, very well. She realizes this is basically bullcrap. Uh, as a way to supposedly test them to see if they could have business dealings together, they arranged this Ender's Game-style zero-G combat situation in which uh, Leia and Matara wind up fighting against others who are basically stuck there trying to, to be part of the organization, including Anna Corette, which is a Twi'lek woman, 
who's a smuggler who doesn't wind up joining the operation. Um, and they wind up fighting against this supposedly insane mining droid, and Leia winds up damaging it and damaging one of the things that they were using to play the game. So basically that's what gets used as an excuse to say, nope, see, you can't leave, you're not joining the organization, even though she never really was planning on letting them win anyway. Meanwhile, Han and some of the other crew members from both the Gamble and the Aegis are looking for the other captives, uh, Sadabit and his people, find them, they want to figure out some way to get the heck out of there, uh, at one point, they basically set up a plan where it, the gist is that Anna Corette, the, the woman they helped, is going to leave. She's not willing to put her own crew at risk to do some kind of rescue operation, but she'll leave and transmit the recording of the attack on Alderaan that Matara has aboard the Aegis as a way of basically freaking out the pirates and making them think they're being attacked. In the chaos, Leia, Matara, and a team with Han will get to the, the prisoners and save them. Uh, in the meantime, Chewbacca, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Luke, who isn't with Red Squadron at this point because of an issue with his X-Wing, are arriving aboard the Millennium Falcon with the idea being that they are going to help in this rescue operation. They get uh, two of them, Han and a new rebel character, Kipar Itran, the only one who gets any kind of development at all of the new rebels, so you can bet he's the spy. Uh, they wind up being captured and Kipar appears to break and reveal who Han is and the Millennium Falcon coming and all that kind of stuff. Um, they wind up getting rescued as well, and finally the rescue operation goes off, mostly without a hitch, and they get the heck out of there. Problem being that Dagorin, this Imperial, um, who, is a t who is the one who attacked him in the first place, has made his way to Arnott Station and captured the gamble with Willard and the others aboard, and are now pretending to be a rebel ship meant to be there to unite with the crew of the Falcon and so forth. Um, winds up basically that they, they escape to a planet that has this ancient set of ruins there that somehow screws up communications in most respects. And as Luke and C-3PO and Kipar Itran, the spy, the traitor, wind up down on the planet to set up a beacon there, there's all kinds of sort of musical chairs with who's on the Falcon, uh, who's on the Aegis and everything up in space, but you wind up in a situation where uh, Kifar betrays Luke, Dagoran gets his hand on Luke and C-3PO and such on their little shuttle and such, and uh, in the the scuffles that end the story, basically, um, they are able to defeat Dagoran, get back the gamble. As the pirates show up, pirates are showing up thinking that they're battling uh, the Empire, and the Empire thinks that the pirates showing up must be rebels coming as reinforcements. So there's a big battle, and our heroes escape amid the battle. And we end with the idea that uh, Mitara has died. When they finally take out Vice during their rescue operation back at the clearinghouse, uh, she gets injured and she dies. And she pr makes Leia promise to look after her people. Leia has invited them to join the Rebel Alliance. Mitara was always against that. Uh, wanting to be more independent and believing that it was the Alderaan's ties to the Rebel Alliance that got Alderaan destroyed in the first place, which basically it was. Um, so in the end, we're left with Leia and Han basically at a, a message drop, hoping that, given the time, that this is when the Aegis will show up and join the Rebel Alliance. And it very much looks like they're not going to until they're ready to walk away. And just as they are giving up, there's the Aegis coming down for a landing. They really are going to join the Rebel Alliance. Leia's goal of trying to talk them into it has worked. That's the general gist of this entire tale. Um, sounds like it could have been an interesting one, but the characterizations, I think, are what make it kind of fall short. Um, but, but that's it. So you don't have to read the book and suffer through it to understand what the heck we're talking about. I thought the Lordian angle with Vest was was cool. Uh, you know, it made her a more dangerous villain. Uh, it was a nice concept, you know, I mean, be able to to kind of be a lie detector, you know, just by looking at somebody and kind of breaking them down. I thought it made an interesting, you know, foil for Leia as she was trying to work her magic, you know, and get Matara and the group out of there. But there were so many times that, well, well let's see. Okay, uh, Alia Trey. Right. She's almost every single time she's referenced, she's just Trey. Uh, you got Cian Tessar, 
but Cien's always mentioned as Cien. And then you got Kiffer Itran that he can go from being referenced as Kiffer to Itran to back and forth to literally there was, like I said, one page where, where Leia used the descriptive and went back. It was like, boom, boom, boom. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, what's going on here? But there were a lot of good humor moments, too. Uh, page 64, Han, he's using uh, some quotes. Uh, he's supposed to be a bodyguard for, and Leia for pilot, and he's using the air quotes for pilot. I There were there were moments like that that I got a kick out of. Uh, but, yeah, Degoran and his deep cover agent, when they start bringing that out and stuff, it was done in such a way that I'd even forgotten about them after a while. And then when they came back, I'm like, wait, who are these guys? And there was a lot of that. I mean, I think between the, the jumping from the first name and the last name and stuff, I, I'm glad there was a dramatist persona at the beginning because I was just like, wait, what's going on? And I had to go back and reread and, and and catch up again. And I think that also, you know, when you get into a book that's more slow like this, that also can hurt it because you, you get to that point where it's easy to set it down and walk away. And then by the time you finally do get back to it, you're kind of like, wait, where was I? And you got to go back and reread a couple pages or a chapter. And, you know, you just kind of barely get past that point that was just so boring. You set it down. Uh, and I I did. I, there were moments where I kept questioning, you know, am I just going to set this book down and, and, and save it for another day and come back to it? Because I was just it. It had the promise. It had the potential. But the delivery was just really boring for me. I thought it was cool that Leia and, and all the girls got to get together and have their Powerpuff Girl moment where they were going to go and save the men. And they had that a few different times. But again, uh, the lack of characterization on those other characters, it was just it was kind of like it was Leia's time to shine and everyone else was there to support her. And that worked, but it could have worked a heck of a lot better had they built these other characters up. I mean, there was a moment where uh, VS shows the, like the full extent of her evil when she kills Janlin in front of Han with the sonic device and the dude's skull just collapsed. I mean, there were really good moments where I was like, oh, wow, that, you know, I mean. But they were kind of few and far between. So that made it really hard to kind of jump onto that boat. Um, Han, you know, he seems to be uh, one of those characters that in this, he's kind of playing both sides of the moral divide. You know, I mean, he's he's a smuggler, which is in a sense a step up from a pirate himself. So it was kind of weird seeing Han being judgmental about those who, uh, you know, who seem to think that they could play both sides of the moral divide still and betray and get people killed, but still makes it all right. And that's a quote. I mean, Han said that. And I'm like, wait, that's that's Han. Like that didn't make sense. I'm like, really? Who seemed to think that they could play both sides of the moral divide, still and betray and get people killed. And then it still makes it right. I'm like, wait, you did that. You've done that time and time again. Like that's, that's the Han motif. So there were moments there where I, I felt like the characters were played well. And then there were moments where they weren't. I mean, the interactions with Chewie and stuff like Chewie, Chewie was a fun character to be around because of the way she used the descriptions and stuff and the way that she would have Chewie kind of teasing and poking and goading and, and that kind of stuff. So I was enjoying that as well. Um, but yeah, that whole, uh, you know, the whole, the whole switching of the name, there's, there's that moment. And I, I wish I would have wrote down which page it was, but Leia literally at one moment, she goes Han and Itren, and then she goes Han and Kifar. Then she goes Solo and Kifar, and I'm like, wait, what? And I literally, that was the moment where I started going back, and I'm like, okay, she's talking about two guys. I literally at one moment there, because of how she, she literally within a paragraph said that too. It was Han and Itren, Han and Kifar, Solo and Kifar, and I'm like, wait, how many people got captured here? Did I miss something? You know, uh, for me though, chapter 15, I think you know, it's it's like the third to last chapter. That was probably one of the best chapters of the whole book. Uh, the action at that point, it got to that point where I felt like I was in new Jedi order where I didn't want to set the book down, but then we got into chapter 16 and everything wrapped up and, and Leia seemed to play everything like a big hunch where Luke actually had the definitive answers that she was kind of like all of a sudden the light came on and it seemed very forced. Uh, it felt like she was just rolling with a hunch and assuming the hunch was fact, which it was, but, the way she came about it, you know, it kind of kicked that momentum that I had with chapter 15 off. And then it kind of, you know, for me, the end kind of fizzled. It was, it was very fizzle. Like, I mean, there was that moment where I was like, they're not going to show. And then I was kind of like conflicted, like, boy, this book really sucks. And then, and then they showed and I'm like, okay, it's got a decent enough ending. Uh, and so I, I, I get to that moment where I'm just, I, I constantly go back to, you know, if I didn't have all that information I have about all the rest of the books from legends, and this was the first star Wars book I was reading, it wouldn't be that bad. I, I, I keep getting back to that feeling that I really don't think it would have been that bad. But because I've read so many other books from mediocre to really good and 
really crappy. This one just fell short of being really good for me. Let's see. A lot of things swirling around in my head at the moment with this. Um, first off, I, if this was your first Star Wars book, it wouldn't have been as bad. But I would make the argument that if this was your first Star Wars book, you would have absolutely no desire to read any other ones. There's nothing about this book that makes me think, wow, this was so cool. I need to go read another Star Wars book. No, not even close. Um, even those old Brian Daly and, and L. Neil Smith things back in the day, those at least give you a sense of, huh, I want to see what happens next with these characters. Not this one. Um, Characterization-wise, imagine basically Leia, Han, and Luke and Chewie and them frozen in the form that we got them in a lot of ways by the end of A New Hope, surrounded by the other characters, except the other characters aren't even that developed. The other characters around them are basically just cardboard cutouts of characters, not actual characters. Um, that's kind of what we wind up with here. I do say that the ending of this played out well, uh, at least the very, very end, the, uh, what amounts to an epilogue for the book. You have, uh, they've been waiting at this drop point, and no one has showed up. It's been a month. It's when she said to meet her there, and nobody's there. Uh, it says, uh, Han swung the pilot's chair back and forth. I don't know what else you were supposed to say. They knew the situation. They needed to make a decision. Leia looked away at the busy crews and droids loading and unloading cargo. And they must have made it. Hey, Han said softly. She turned back to look at him. Let's give it one more day. Leia got to her feet. She wanted to nurse her disappointment in private. One more night, she said. She appreciated Han's generosity, but she knew there wasn't any point in remaining longer. We can leave tomorrow morning. Han nodded. If that's what you want. Skip down to the next chunk of the chapter after one of those quadruple space type things. She woke at dawn the next morning to Han banging on her cabin door. Leia had already drawn her blaster, thinking the ship was being attacked. When she realized, he was saying, Get out here, sweetheart. There's something you need to see. She threw her clothes on hastily and ran up to the cockpit just in time to watch something very like an Alderanian gunship landing on the next platform over. The end. Um, the fact that they played it... I mean, I guess what I was expecting was the pat ending of, Oh, they're going to show up and they're going to join the Rebel Alliance. Which is what happened. But they play that last chapter, except those last two paragraphs, which may... It almost feels like they were hastily added at the end to not give it a down ending. Um, it really felt like they were going to do the opposite of what we would expect and have them not join. Or maybe send a message saying, you know, maybe someday, but not right now or something like that. As opposed to having them join, which was the pat way it does technically wind up ending here. Um, I, I do agree with you that having Vice be a Lordian was pretty cool. The idea that she was sort of a human lie detector, as you said. Um, I, I'm not sure I would go so far as to say that the girls kind of have their Powerpuff Girls moment, but this is a book that brings up an interesting question to me. We've talked about the need for more female characters of depth in Star Wars, how a lot of times it's male characters. There was a hubbub with Rebels when most of the first characters that got their little video clips released that introduced the characters were the men, and then they finally got to the women. Uh, the fact that when they announced the cast of Star Wars Episode Seven. There were hardly any women amongst the cast, and that is something in sci-fi in general, um, which is why the exceptions to the rule, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, are such big deals. Uh, before that, what, Dark Angel is such huge deals, and why Leia was a huge deal back in 1977. This book, I'll give it credit for using women in many more story positions than usual when it comes to Star Wars. We have uh, Alia Turai... She is uh, one of the members of the pirate team. You've got Anna Corette, just going through the Dramatis Personae. Anna Corette, who is the smuggler that winds up helping them. Twi'lek woman. Uh, Vyst, the flight master, the pirate lord, the Lordian. That's a woman. Mitara, Captain the Aegis, is a woman. Um, then you have uh, Cyan Tessar, who is the rebel that helps them along the way, also a woman. Lots of female characters. But this begs the question of what we then expect of these female characters to make them worthwhile and to make them really something that helps tilt that balance. Is it just the presence of women? Or do they have to be somewhat special? Do they have to have some oomph to the story? Um, it's almost as if in this story, what she did was she told a story that could have had generic male or female characters for almost every single role in the entire book. 
This book could have been a generic sci-fi book, just swap out some terminology and some ship names and such. Okay, Very generic. Same thing with the characters. Any of these characters could just as easily have been men as women. One can make the argument that that is the essence of equality. That having female characters where they don't focus on the femininity or being women, and they simply make them characters in their own right, and not really care about male or female, is the essence of equality here. It's the same thing they say about race. You know, If they don't specify the race of a character in a story, then race really never played into it, and you can imagine that character as any race you wanted. That is, in a sense, equality. On the other hand, if this is them saying, hey, look, we've got all these women as characters, but they make them all so you know, one-dimensional, all so flimsy as characters, and they don't give any emphasis to them that makes them stand out, not only amongst the other characters, but make them stand out as women also, one could also argue that that is selling short the idea of this and that they're only paying lip service to the idea of actual gender diversity. Um, it could go either way, so I'm not sure if this book is a failing or a triumph when it comes to the idea of more female-centered Star Wars stories. I mean, I guess this should be a triumph. The, the, the leaders of both heroic groups, or the heroic and sort of the, the, the wishy-washy group, the one that we don't know if they're heroic, are both women, Leia and Matara, and the leader of one of the two big threats is a woman, um, and they get help from a woman that helps them get this all going by the end. Um, I don't know. So, I mean, Mark, you're the parent of daughters. Um, what do you think? Is I mean, is this a triumph for the idea of more gender diversity in Star Wars, or is this a failed experiment in it? I'm having a real hard time deciding which. Well, and, and it's rough for us as, as gentlemen. I mean, I, I'm no authority here, but I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I mean, I definitely... It definitely jumped out to me that most of the key powerful characters in this story were all women. I mean, in, in one aspect, I'm kind of surprised uh, Degoran wasn't a female as well. I mean, they, they could have, you know, had one more. Uh, you know, Leia was powerful. Matara was in control, but kind of lost. I, I never did understand why she decided to go the route she did. Yeah, kind of blaming the Alliance was one thing, but to become a pirate over a smuggling group, I, I, that was just... I was with Leia at a couple points where I just wanted to slap her, you know, <laughs> like, wake up. But, you know, even Matara's underlings, I mean, Kelvin was the guy, and he kind of seemed like the number two, but... Tere or Tierra, however you, we were calling her, she also seemed like she was his equal to a sense. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I did get the sense, though, that there were a few times where the girls were having to come to the guy's rescue. And I, I liked it. I mean, I, I, I didn't I didn't, you know, disdain it or anything like that. I thought, you know, hey, here's a here's a good opportunity. Um, but I don't know if it was a huge success. You know, I, I think it was definitely a step in the right direction. Um, you know, and, and for me, I, I'm always going to be a huge Legends fan. So I was immediately thinking, you know, like, where could we go with Sword of the Jedi? You know, where you had a story that was based on Jaina and possibly having some of the other next generation female characters kind of be around her and stuff and maybe having Ben be the only male character. You know, I, I mean, I was immediately thinking, like, where they could go with this next. And and I, I mean, looking at it now, like if we'd have done this review back when it first came out my outlook on things would have been a lot different because at that time we didn't know that legends was, was kind of, you know, being shoved off to the side as it is at the moment, you know, it's its own universe, but we don't know if anything new is going to come out. And that knowledge kind of, kind of changes the way I look at it. I mean, you know, there was all this great potential there when I thought, you know, well, they might be making more books down the road of this kind of nature, or you know, maybe we'd see more of that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know what the new, universe is going to hold i mean will authors like martha wells be called on or are they going to continue to just kind of pick on some of the big heavy hitters from the old legend saga first and see how that goes and then bring in new blood to that universe i mean it's weird so there's a lot of parts of me that, that kind of think you know they could take this model and run with it and really flesh it out we're not seeing that with rebels certainly but that's not to say that they couldn't do that with a lay eccentric book kind of like what we're going to get with tarkin uh, or even what what the third book of this original series is going to do with Luke, where it's all Luke first point of view. They could have done something with that with with a Leia first point of view and and got a lot of the character development for Leia that came from this book 
out of the way just in in first person points of view. I, I felt like they wasted a lot of time kind of rehashing a lot of things that that were were out there already. Uh, but again, that that's me having that extra knowledge of of legends and EU stuff. You know, I mean, her feelings of of inadequacy, remorse, guilt over everything that happened to Alderaan, the anger that came with it. You know, I mean, it was good opportunities, but I felt the way it was delivered, it was stretched out too long and it kind of killed opportunity for them to take the development of the certain characters that they did and, and develop others and actually had them interact more because there were a lot of interactions and stuff with the characters. I mean, when they had their, as I call it, the Powerpuff moment, I was kind of hoping for more from the characters. It, it happened so quick. And there was a lot of that, that like when it got to the moment of the really cool action, it happened so fast that you were right back to the slow part again. You're like, oh, really? Like... But it did, in a sense, have that, that kind of rise and fall of, of tides. I mean, you know, there were moments where it built up and then it would kind of drop down and then it would build up a little again. But I didn't feel like it was continually building up to a, a big point. You know, I, I felt like it just kind of stayed flat like a heartbeat. Just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I do hope that we see something like this in the future when it comes to a story that focuses more on women characters. I think we may even be getting that with John Jackson Miller's A New Dawn, because that's supposed to be the story of how uh, Kanan and Hera from Rebels wound up meeting in the first place. I mean, that could be it. And plus, we've got both Hera and Sabine as major characters in Rebels, though it seems like uh, that series is going to be something that's more... Uh, it's kind of odd to say because there were so many male characters around Ahsoka in Clone Wars that we're going to get a story that is more balanced, I guess, when it comes to male-female characters, but that maybe isn't so focused on a female character the way that Clone Wars was with Ahsoka that it may wind up mm -hmm. being you know, kind of on par or a step backwards. We, we don't really know how it's going to play out yet. But I would say mm -hmm. I feel as though at least this was a step in the right direction in that sense um, because it seems like this was on purpose. It doesn't seem like it was an accident that so many characters wound up being women. Because if you look at the dramatist personae, it does the normal thing, right? Human female, Twilight female, Aqualish male, Lordian female, and so on. Did you notice what it says for R2-D2 and C-3PO? They say protocol droid <laughs> and astromech droid, but each one is preceded by the word masculine. Yeah. Masculine protocol droid masculine astromech droid it certainly seems though this was on purpose um and and, it, and they're but, drawing but out i gotta question that i mean i didn't even think about that but is r2 really masculine i mean the only thing masculine about r2 is that everyone refers to him as a he they could have easily treated him like a, sh a ship and called him a she there's nothing really defining about r2 that i'm aware of that makes him masculine per se and when you think about c3po masculine is not the first word that comes to mind Prissy, maybe? No. <laughs> um, but no, it's just, it seems as though that was on purpose. And in that sense, um, they do deserve at least some credit for doing so. They did it in a book that winds up being... I, I guess the best way to put it is, when I read a Star Wars book, yes, I'm looking for the continuity stuff. Yes, I'm looking for it to add something to the universe. I, I want it to matter. But I also want the book to be fun. We're going to see when we review Honor Among Thieves. Honor Among Thieves doesn't matter to anything else either. It's just as continuity inoffensive as this is. But Honor Among Thieves is a fun book. This book, to me, just never was any fun. It was a slog to get through this thing. It's not That's not to say it is a bad book per se, but it's certainly below par with what I would have hoped for. And I think part of that is the same effect that we've mentioned before when we talk about things like Death Troopers. Because we know nothing's going to happen to Han, Leia, and Luke and Chewbacca, and R2-D2, and C-3PO. There can't be any significant character plot development to them, and probably not even to Vand and Willard, which means we're only left with any plot development and peril to come to the characters that are introduced original to this story. And since few of them ever got much depth, there was little reason to care about them, and even, even before the announcement of the new canon and the Legends thing, I don't know that we ever had any reason to expect that any of these characters would ever show up again. So it's kind of one of those... You want me to care about the peril that this character's in that you barely developed for me that I know I'm not ever going to see again. Sorry, yawn. Um, and to a degree, that happens mm -hmm. with some of the characters in Honor Among Thieves, but Honor Among Thieves actually takes the time to give some characterization to them so they don't feel like cardboard cutouts. Um, I don't know. I would be interested, actually, in reading another Martha Wells book if only to be able to have a point of comparison between what she does with her original stories versus what she did with this Star Wars story. Whether this was basically mm -hmm. going through the motions, 
or what? Because you would think that an author would bring their A game their first time getting a chance to write for a franchise as big as Star Wars. But I can't imagine this was her A game. It can't be, given the pedigree of this author. Surely this is not her A game. Well, and maybe we were just never the target audience, and because of that, we missed something. I mean, I, I was thinking about what you just said about a new dawn, and you know, that finding that balance. Uh, you know, as a as a male, when I look at it, it's like I think you know, well, could Hera and and, and Kanan be you know romantic? Can they have a relationship? And by doing so, does that automatically diminish her character then, in the eyes of ladies that want to see big, strong characters? And the other side of that is, okay, if they're dating in that regard, for her to be a strong character, does that mean that he's got to be weaker than her? I mean, I don't know how, because I'm a male, you know, I, I don't know how to how to look at that in the same regard as, you know, hey, that's offensive. You know, I mean, sometimes it's pretty blatantly obvious, but at the same time, when it comes to that balance, I mean, you know, we know Star Wars is kind of leans more male-dominated, but just throwing women in there as this shows doesn't always provide that balance i mean you know so i don't know how much of the character needs to be which you know i mean what exactly do the ladies want in a strong female character i mean does she need to have a lot of page time a lot of speaking time or does she need to be well developed uh you know i mean for me it's like i want a character that is strong and I want them to have a lot of page time, but I want their interactions to be, you know, meaningful. I want them to have moments that are, you know, those type of moments that, that, that either make me stop and pause and think or take my breath away or just shock me, you know. And and to me, like, oh, like Game of Thrones, I mean, I almost every character in that show that are my favorites are all the ladies. I mean, you know, and, and I think, you know, that show does a really good job of providing strong female characters at times. I mean, granted, there are also blatantly unstrong ones and stuff and 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 that goes both directions but it gets back to that aspect of when it comes to my star wars i'm never really looking for that so i wouldn't know how exactly that balance should play out uh you know i i definitely felt like while they did a really good job of making it obvious that this was more female you know driven i felt like the male characters from the movies han and luke and Chewie, kind of had better descriptions and stuff of themselves than leia did and certainly more than any of the other characters that were brought in new to the story. I mean, you know, Kifar Itran was the only character in there that I was starting to care about. And it was mainly because I wanted to know why was he such a tool, which became blatantly obvious, which kind of felt like a, a, a another missed opportunity. But again, I, I question, is that just because it was aimed at a market that wasn't me? You know, I mean, that could be part of why, you know, other places really enjoyed the book more than, say, me or you. I, I, I didn't think it was terrible. But I definitely think it was on the on the closer to terrible end of the mediocre line. Uh, it was definitely mid-run book. There are a lot of books out there that are way worse than this was. This was, as you say, it was inoffensive. So it's hard to hate on the book. You know, I don't hate the book, but it was a boring book uh, for me quite often. Looking at it as a whole, you know, knowing what the story came through, I almost feel like this book could have been told in a child's book, uh, you know, one that that kind of dumped a lot of the extra stuff because so little of the characters were developed that you could have got away with that in a kid's book and still move the plot along just as well. And I think the story could have maybe even been served better in that regards because, you know, when you look at it from the first 15 minutes of as you describe the book, it sounds like a really fun ride. It sounds like a really good adventure. But the way it came across as I was reading it, it was meandering. And at times I felt like I was reading Lord of the Rings, you know, the the, the trilogy. And just, wait, what? What is Tolkien writing here? And that, I mean, it, it wasn't that the writing was terrible. It was just, again, I, I get back to that aspect of I've, you know, seen so many other legends and stuff that that I'm, I'm dealing with that. You know, that's part of why I'm the bipolar Star Wars fan right now. Because of everything that's going on, I'm trying to unlearn what I've learned, hold on to that for another universe and apply it to that universe and move on. And I don't know, it, it puts me looking at things in, a, in new ways that I haven't before. And it also puts me trying to, to, to leave my judgment on things a little more lighter than I would have been because I'm kind of in that reactory mode where I'm kind of irked that, while Legends exists on its own, it does seem like it's dying, that it's not actually going to be continuing to put new stuff out. And that irks me because I still want that stuff, but I don't want that to taint my view on everything at the same time. So I'm kind of like, oh, what are we? it's kind of hard to, to describe how you feel about something like this when it hits that mediocre level. 
Uh, so when this comes out in paperback, I believe it's coming out in paperback in October, it's going to have the Legends banner up across the top. It is also dropping the Empire and Rebellion subtitle. You can still find it on places like Amazon with that subtitle because that's how it was originally marketed. And of course they market from the same page things like the paperback, the hardback, the audiobook, the Kindle version, all that kind of stuff. Um, bear that in mind. I don't think it's going to be one that a lot of folks are going to want to check out. But it'll be one of the last to get as part of the Legends run. I guess the best way to sum this up for me um, is that... And I guess this is sort of a, a, a way to put a positive spin on, I guess, what amounts to a negative review for me. Um, there were two particularly uh, more interesting parts of the hardback of Razor's Edge. Sadly, the two most interesting parts of the hardback of Razor's Edge were the previews of Maul Lockdown and Honor Among Thieves in the back. That pretty much sums up my thoughts on this book. <laughs> Well, and I, I've gone around the world with it. For me, it was mediocre. Uh, it wasn't a terrible book, but it wasn't one of the best. Um, you know, if you just getting into Legends, jump on this one. Jump on it like it's a grenade. Get that out of the way. I think you'll enjoy it a lot more than you would, say, Splinters of the Mind's Eye, uh, the Bounty Hunter trilogy. There are a couple other books out there that are really, you know, slogs to get through. While this one was a slog for me, I think if you're new to EU, new to the Legends universe, this won't be as bad for you. I think you'll be able to get through it a lot easier than I will. And you probably enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, but again, you know, for most of the people that I've ran across that have been dying the wool EU fans, I've read almost all the books kind of fans. It fell short of the mark. Uh, but I don't think that's a death knell for the book. I just think that's where it lands. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both the Twitter and our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. 1,600 fans and growing. Uh, and on Twitter, too. You know, just find us. It's at SW Beyond Films. Not only can you comment to us about past shows, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU slash Legends questions or you want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, before we go, we also wanted to thank our sponsors, Audible. They've got an Audible trial out there you can go to. Get a free Audible trial run. Get a free book www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Legends universe or any other genre out there without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because the Audible members, they can exchange their books within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. And of course, if you want to follow the ongoing development of the Star Wars timeline Gold... Right now, I'm in the process of working out how the document is going to change and develop to deal with the whole new canon thing. You can follow that project as it heads towards its 2014 release on Facebook as well. It is facebook.com slash SW Timeline Gold. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Droidless Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't put us the odds that Kevin Hearn's Heir to the Jedi will be better than this one. <laughs> Seriously, couldn't be worse. Heck, I'm just wondering if it's going to be better than I, Jedi.
first story is the pirate issue and the over. Another one of these, these, would you like to donate? I don't know how many times you can tell the same people, no, we don't have any, any like, extra clothes and stuff to donate anymore because we already did, like, to you guys recently. And just keep calling. Okay. Lucas, okay, we we're trying to reach Nathan Butler. Okay. <laughs> Which we always recur, we always recur to Sir Bigger. The count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan B. Butler. Hey, wait. I don't know, when I hear you say gargle a chewy, I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, no, no.